You're listening to the Grace Point Northwest podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Grace Point Northwest is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday gathering. All right, good morning again. Like I said, my name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Point Church, and it's good to be with you this morning. Here at Grace Point Church, we exist in a collective of churches here in the Las Vegas Valley. Currently, we have two churches, one here at Peterson Academy, and then we have one over at Ann and Allen. And together, we live out one mission, which is to make disciples of Jesus that live in community for the community. And just like you possibly heard already on this Friday, we have a tremendous opportunity to live on mission in our community. We are hosting our first ever trunk or treat right here in the Peterson parking lot. And so what we are going to be asking of you guys, we're going to be extending our deadline for the candy. We're, we're not going to quite hit a ton. And I made a deal with you. If we hit a ton, we'll shave my head. My wife is kind of glad we're not getting there. Uh, but, but hey, we're gonna get, we could get close to a half a ton. And so what we want to do is we just want to simply offer a free, fun, and safe family event to those in the community. Currently, about 400 people have expressed interest in coming to this event. And so if you could bring in candy, not only today, but throughout the week, we'll take it up till Wednesday. Just take it to our office at Grace Point and Road. Costco has a phenomenal sale on candy right now. I heard Smith's, it's 50% off today. If you get it before today... And so what we're looking to do is just simply offer a free event in the community. We not only need you guys to bring in candy, but I think we still need about three people to decorate a trunk to hand out candy. And I think we need about six people to help run booths. One booth that I got an idea for today was actually to hang up toilet bowls and throw toilet paper through it. Sounds like a blast, doesn't it? Is that what it was, John? Kind of? Okay. But anyway, John's going to be running that booth. And if you guys want to come see John do that, that'll be awesome. So... But, uh, but seriously, you can go to our Grace, Point at, our Grace Point website right now, go to Northwest, uh, click on For the Community, Trunk or Treat, and you can sign up right now. And I will know if you sign up because my phone will buzz. I use it as a timer up here. Sound good? So if you just see me kind of go like flip things out, that means people are signing up. So that would be cool. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 8. We're going to dive in there this morning. If you don't have a Bible, as you leave today, feel free to swing by our Connect table. We have free Bibles there both in English and in Spanish. And as you're flipping there, let me pray for us again, and then we'll dive into this text. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your mercy that you give us so unconditionally through your son, Jesus. And I pray, Father, that even as we go through this text right now, I pray, Father, that you just speak clearly to us. You say in Isaiah that your word goes forth, and it does not come back void, that it accomplishes its purpose. And so, Father, we ask you to accomplish your purpose for our lives in us here and now. Use your word, Father, to shape us and mold us and conform us more to the image of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you just illuminate the word to help us to understand and see uh, the glorious truths that are within it. God, you are so gracious that you have sent light into this world, into a world that has rejected you. And so, Father, I pray that we can make much of that light here and now. We pray also in your name. Amen. So this morning, we're continuing through the Gospel of John. We have entitled this series, The Book of John, That You May Believe. And the reason for that is because John wrote this book so that you and I would believe in Jesus. He tells us very clearly at the very end of it in chapter 20, he has written these things so that you may believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And this morning, what John is going to talk to us about is light. And he's going to say Jesus is light. And I don't know about you, but light is extremely important. 
We need light for things to grow. We need light for warmth, which some of us are like, we could use more light in here right now, right? We need light to, to, to be able to see. And recently, when I was over in Ireland, I met a guy over there who lived in the southwestern part of the United States. And he said when he moved to Ireland, one of the things that struck him is how gloomy it was. And so he found himself getting a little bit depressed. And so he went out and he bought this thing called a sun lamp. And he puts it in his office and he turns it on and it helps him throughout the week as he's working. Like I'd never seen anything quite like that before, but he needed it. You see, light is important. And light is not something you and I invented. And it's something you and I can't live without. And I learned that the hard way when I was a kid. You see, when I was growing up, I grew up in Kentucky. And it was oftentimes during the holiday season, we would go over to my grandparents' house, and because it was cold outside, and because we had dress clothes on, my parents wouldn't let us go out and play in the mud and stuff like that. And so oftentimes what we would do is invent games inside my grandmother's house to play. Now, one of our favorite games was hide-and-go-seek in the dark. And so what we would do is me and my cousins would go into a room, we would turn out all the lights, somebody would be it, and we would say, go, he would count out loud, he or she would count out loud, and then come try to find us. And I can tell you, that was the most anxiety-filled game I've ever played in my life. Because you did not know who was around you. All throughout the room, you could hear things falling over, people scurrying and moving, and all this stuff. And if you were it, this is how you weren't it anymore. If you found somebody and you touched them, you grabbed onto them. And you said, I got him, I got him, I got him. Somebody turn off the light. And then somebody had to find the light. So here's how we would oftentimes play. If somebody would grab onto you and you start screaming you're it and you're the one being grabbed onto, you could fight that person until the light came on. You'd be like, they didn't touch me. Who would know, right? And so it became very, very, very physical. My parents actually told us, stop playing this game. Grandma's broken, got enough stuff broken and just all that stuff. Well, I'll never forget, we were playing this game and I felt somebody like or heard and kind of sent somebody getting close to me. And so I tried to scurry away, but as I did, my head connected with something. And all of a sudden, I felt a liquid coming down my face. I grabbed my head and I said, turn on the light, turn on the light. My cousins thought somebody was it, but then I saw they kind of turned pale because there was blood all over my face. I looked to see that I had actually ran into the corner of a dresser. And so what ended up happening is I split my eye. With that, one of my cousins screamed out for my parents who had told us not to play this game anymore. They come into the room, and when they saw me, it wasn't time for a rebuke. It wasn't time to discipline me. But when the light came on and exposed what was going on inside of me, what did they immediately seek to do? Heal me. So they took me upstairs. My dad washed me off. They bandaged me up. When they came into that room, they didn't look at me and go, I told you so. You should have figured that out. Maybe you should sit there and bleed a while and you'll listen to us next time. They didn't do that at all. They immediately, when the light came on, they came to my rescue and aid. In the same way, you and I live in a very dark world. We are scurrying around, bumping into things, getting hurt. And God in his grace has sent a light into this world. Now this light is not a what and it a thing, but rather this light is a who. And just like my mom and dad, when the light came on, they came to heal me. This light has come into the world not to shame you, not to condemn you, but to heal you and to rescue you and to show you your need and to heal what is going on in your life. You see, in John chapter 8, verse 12, we read this. And we're going to spend the majority of the time in chapter 12 today, or verse 12 today. But, uh, and then we'll get through the rest of it quickly. I promise you, we, we'll only be here for about four hours, okay? It'll be good. No, I'm just playing. 
So look at verse 12. It says this. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? Now, this is a great question. And when you see in your Bible that word again, you have to understand something, that what you are reading there has something that comes before it. And all the way back in chapter 7, we see that Jesus is at a camp out, a week-long camp out, or an eight-day party. And on the very last day of that party, he stands up and he begins to teach. Now, as know what I said could be somewhat controversial to some of you in this room, because you very rarely think about Jesus wanting to be at a party. Many of us in this room, when we think of Jesus, we think of a robot that just went around spitting out data. But I will tell you this, Jesus is at a party and Jesus loved to party. You read through the gospels and you see very clearly that Jesus enjoyed eating. You can practically eat your way through the gospel of Luke. You read the gospel of Luke and Jesus is either going to a party, he's at a party, he's leaving a party. Jesus loved to eat, and that's why we're throwing a party on Friday, because this is what, who Jesus is. He's come with joy. And so what we see is that Jesus is at this week-long celebration, but this week-long celebration had a robust meaning. Some of you might remember that at this point in the Gospel of John, the entire city is full of people living in these makeshift tents, if you will. Every September and October, after the harvest, people would come into the city and they would celebrate a festival called the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles. And they would celebrate the grace of God in their life. And people who lived in Jerusalem would actually move out of their houses onto their property and live in a tent on their property. People who lived outside of Jerusalem would actually come into Jerusalem and set up tents and driveways and alleyways and all that. I mean, just picture your neighborhood right now that everybody just for a solid week decided, hey, we're not going to live in our homes. We're just going to go live in the front yard, or we're going to live in their driveway, or we're going to live in the, in the street. I mean, you kind of get the idea. And my kids and I, we actually enjoy doing this sometimes. We'll put up a tent in the backyard, and they'll camp out out there. We'll sit there, have s'mores, eat, and tell some stories. And that's similar to what would happen during this week-long festival. These people would be in tents, and they would be telling stories. But whereas me and my kids, we kind of tell ghost stories and scary stories, that's not what they're telling. They're actually telling stories of the history of their people, their ancestors, and how God was so gracious to them to deliver them out of 400 years of slavery to Pharaoh called the Exodus. They would remind themselves of the stories of their ancestors who spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness and how God provided for them through manna, bread-like substance, and through water from a rock. And it is believed that every time the festival of Booths would happen, that every single day, two ceremonies or rituals would happen to symbolize God's grace in the past. You see, there was a water ritual, a water ceremony. And what this water represented was to remind the people of the miraculous way that God provided water for their ancestors in the desert. You look in Exodus chapter 17, the people come up to Moses and they start to grumble. And they say, what'd you do? Did you bring us out here to kill us? We don't have any water. And so Moses goes to God and he says, hey God, the people are grumbling. What should I do? And God very clearly says, I'm going to show you a rock. I'm going to stand before that rock and you're going to strike that rock. And the rock that I'm standing before that you strike, guess what's going to come out of it? Water. And so Moses goes and he does this and water comes out and provides nourishment to the people. But also what happened was a lighting ceremony. And so the water ceremony would happen during the day. The lighting ceremony would happen at night. And it'd be in the treasury. 
that they had these four huge candelabras, if you will, with 16 bowls around them full of oil, and they would light those up. Why? To remember God's gracious provision in leading the people in the Old Testament. That as they wandered in that desert for 40 years, they were led by what? A pillar of cloud during the day and fire by night. I think it's important for us to understand what actually took place during these festivals so that you and I can understand what Jesus is doing here. You see, during that water ceremony, what would happen during the day is the priest would take a golden pitcher. He would go down to the Pool of Shalom. He would fill it up with water. And as he is filling that up with water, the people would sing Isaiah 12, which it says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And as the priest would walk that water back up to the altar to pour it at the base of the altar, the people would sing Psalm 113 all the way through 118. And on the last day of the feast, when Jesus stands up to teach, because he's at this party, and at the very last day he stands up to teach, it was believed that these people would make this trip seven times. Could you imagine that? I mean, if you got your Fitbit on, you're getting your steps that day, right? I mean, you're going to the pool, singing, back to the altar. Okay, well, let's go back down. Seven times, you're back and forth, back and forth. And it is at this moment that it is believed that Jesus stood up and he screamed out this. Listen to what it says in John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for Christ for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus looks at this, this group of people who are doing this party, celebrating this, this ritual of God providing thirst, like providing for their thirst in the Old Testament. And Jesus looks at them and it's almost as if he says, are you thirsty? I mean, think about it. Are you thirsty? You and I, we live in a desert. And we know that in the desert, water equals what? Life. And several years ago, when we moved back here from Utah, my brother was living here, and we went out on a hike. I said, Shad, you pick the hike, we'll go wherever you want. And so we go out on this hike on a summer day, and Shad picks one that does not have any shade on it. I took my dog, who's about a 70-pound golden doodle that looks like a lamb, and on the way back out of the hike, she just quit. Just lay down. She was done. I gave her what was left of my water, then I picked her up, I put her on my shoulders, and my brother started cracking Bible jokes to the pastor. He's like, do you find your one lost lamb? And I was like, Shad, I will punch you in the face. Like, like, not only is there over 100 degrees, but I got this panting dog on me. And as soon as we got to a place of water, both Lucy, this is our dog, and me, started pounding water. Why? We were thirsty. Many of you can relate to that. We all know physical thirst. But what I would argue is you and I know just as obviously spiritual thirst. Jesus is obviously in this text, not talking about physical, but spiritual, because he says the Spirit will come. Some of you came in here this morning, you've got an ache in your soul. You've got condemnation on you. You've got guilt on you. You're trying to cover up shame. And you're doing everything in your power and might to quench that pain. Some of us, we just surf the web. Others of you, like me, when you're just in a tough way, you just watch Sports Center over and over and over again. Some of you look for a relationships or a substance. Others of us in this room, we realize this soul ache, and rather than running to bad things, we run to good things. And we read our Bibles, we serve, we get into community group, we do all these things thinking that if I can do these things, then somehow I'll earn that which God has given. 
yet it doesn't satisfy. Because we're trying to do something in our power and might that Jesus says, if you're thirsty, I didn't tell you to go find a drink. What did he say? You come to me. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, if I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You see, you and I have a thirst in our soul that nothing in this world can satisfy, which shows that you and I weren't created to find ultimate satisfaction in the here and now. And what is so amazing about this is Jesus says, are you thirsty? Then come to me. When we go to try to performing or we go to try to numbing, what we are doing is we're really just drinking salt water. We're drinking a jug of sand. And it doesn't satisfy your thirst. It makes you more thirsty. Jesus says, you come to me and you drink. But how do we drink of Jesus? Verse 38 of chapter 7. He says, just believe in me. Believe in me. That's how you drink of the ultimate soul-satisfying water is by believing in Jesus and Jesus alone. And what is so amazing about this text is guess what? It's coming out of Exodus 17. Who was standing before the rock that Moses struck? God. And guess what Jesus says? The Spirit will be sent out when I'm glorified. What is he talking about there? His, resur- or his crucifixion. And what Jesus is saying is, when you strike me on the cross, the Spirit of God is going to come flowing out, satisfying souls and bringing new life to people. He's saying, I'm greater than Moses, who you're partying to remember right now. I am the true satisfying water. So that's what would happen during the day. But at night, there was a lighting ceremony. Let's read again John chapter 8, verse 12. Listen, it says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, this is on that great day. He's still teaching. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the desert, God provided water, but he also provided light. In Exodus 3, God led them by a pillar of fire in the wilderness at night. And as the party is going on, they're in the treasury, the court of women. There's four candelabras with 16 bowls each around them, each of those bowls filled with 65 liters of oil. And what would happen each and every night is that would the, the, the priest and the, the Levites, the workers, would light up those bowls, and it would illuminate all of Jerusalem. Rabbis would say men of piety would go through the streets dancing and singing with torches in their hands. Orchestras would cut loose. Rabbis would actually say, if you've never seen this in your life, then you've never experienced joy. It was such an amazing experience. And I was thinking, how can you and I envision this? And the only way I can think about it is from my drive from Phoenix to Las Vegas at night. See, I got parents that live in Surprise, Arizona, and we'll go visit them every so often. And when you're driving on the 95 back at night, in between Phoenix and Las Vegas, it's dark. I mean, like, it's pitch black. I mean, sometimes you, I mean, you can see the stars and stuff, but you can't see very far out. But as you're coming on the 95 and you start to see the glow of the Las Vegas lights, I don't know about you, but for me, I just go, oh my gosh, that's beautiful because I'm almost home, right? And then you make that turn and then you see the sea of street lights that go on for miles, and it illuminates, and it's actually beautiful. That is what's going on in this ceremony. They are lighting up these candles, and Jerusalem, the light from Jerusalem, is radiating out for everyone to see. And it's in the midst of this lighting, which they're remembering God's glorious reminder of provision through light, that Jesus looks, and they're, boom, that one lights up, that one lights up, that one lights up, that one lights up, and it's almost as if he goes, hey, time out. 
Quit dancing. Cut the orchestra for a second. I got something important to say. That's me. That's me. He says, I am the light of the world. Throughout the Old Testament, light served as a metaphor for God's very presence, character, and salvation. This was not only true in the Exodus, but if you look in Psalm 27, it says this, of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, light always referred to in the Old Testament as God's presence, character, and salvation. But not only did light represent that, but light also represented the servant of the Lord that would come, that would bring that presence, that character, and salvation, not just to Jerusalem, but to the entire world. Look in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. It says this. He says, this is God, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the what? Nations, that my what? Salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You see, Jesus in this text is not only identifying with the servant of Isaiah, but he's also saying he is the God of Psalm 27. That he is the God who was the pillar of fire that they followed in Exodus chapter 3. You see, in the book of Exodus, they were following the light in the desert. And what Jesus is telling the people both here and now in this text is you follow me for salvation. You look to me and you follow me. C.S. Lewis, again, is helpful. Listen to what he writes here. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see, I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Do you understand what Lewis is saying? He's saying that you and I live in this world, and if there was no sun, we would have no idea what was in this world. We wouldn't be able to understand this world. We'd all be bumping around in the dark with like scars in our eyebrows because we're bumping into everything. But he says, because of who this, what the sun is, it illuminates everything that I see. And in the same way, he's saying, I believe in Christianity like that. I don't just merely believe in Jesus for my ticket to the there and then. But I believe in Jesus because he impacts my here and now. The only way that I can truly understand and live in this world that is broken and understand that I have hope is by who he is and what he has done for me. That you and I are called to view everything in this life through the spectacles, if you will, that I have on, of Jesus. That's how we are to view the world. I mean, think about it. Jesus has not come only to give you light, only to illuminate where we're going. Jesus says, right now, present tense, you will not walk in darkness because I have come to illuminate the here and now, the very present. By the power of the Spirit, you and I are not to walk in darkness, but in joyful obedience to him. How do we do that? We believe in Jesus' water, and we follow Jesus' light. So every time you take a drink of water, it should be a visual reminder because I have to literally right now, that we are to believe in Jesus. Whenever you and I walk into a room and flip on a light, it should be a visual reminder that we are to follow Jesus. In an agricultural society where they couldn't just flip on a light, this would have meant the world to them. When the power goes out in your house and my house, we go to these archaic things called candles 
Or maybe we go to our phone as long as the light will last because we, can't, we have no power, right? But in Jesus' day, light meant everything. And every time light came on, he wanted them to remember, you follow me, you follow me, you follow me. You see, God led the people in the wilderness out of slavery in Egypt through a pillar of fire. And God has done for every Christian is to lead them out, lead them out of a greater darkness, and that is sin in their lives through Jesus Christ. And the question is, are you following Jesus? And if you are, how do you and I follow Jesus? Well, I think the answers are very simple. Yes, we are to believe in Jesus and we're to repent. We're to turn from our sins and our lives and go to Jesus for ultimate joy and hope. But I think it also means that you and I are to follow Jesus in the scriptures. You see, the Bible contains the very words and instructions, if you will, of who Jesus is and what he calls followers to be. And so we prioritize reading the Bible. We prioritize Sunday morning coming under the teaching of the Bible. But we also prioritize community. Because what we understand is that being a Christian is not an individual sport, if you will. That you and I are called to live and to encourage and be light through Christ living through us to one another. And so we have to be in community. We have to be in the Word. For Jesus shines forth in those. You see, when we don't follow Jesus and we're not walking in His light, what does it say? We're actually walking in darkness. And some of us in here, we realize that walking in the dark isn't that fun. I'm sure I'm not the only one in here who has a scar over their left eyebrow because they bumped into something because it was dark. And the question we got to ask is, what are you following and why are you following it? What do you hope to gain? Many people in this world are walking in darkness, not because they're, they're ignorant or not because they just don't want to. Jesus actually says the opposite. He said people walk in the darkness because they love the darkness. You see, in John 3, 19, it'll be up here on the screen, it says this, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were what? Evil. That's what he's saying. The reason the world is so dark is not because of anything God has done. It's because of everything we have done. We brought sin into the world. And we, think, we don't think we love the darkness, but let me just ask you a question. Do you fear the light? Or maybe a better question to ask is this. What in your life it was exposed and brought into the life would be so devastating your life would no longer be worth living? What are you hiding? And what Jesus is saying, he's the light that we are to follow, but Jesus is also the light that is shining into our lives to heal us. When uh, my kids were first awakened to go to school, uh, especially my daughter, uh, the first time I woke her up to go to school, she was so excited the night before, like, I get to go to school tomorrow. And then I woke her up, and you know what her first words were when I woke her up? Because it was still dark outside. She said, oh, I don't get the sleep I want anymore. And I remember kindly telling her, you know, for the past 14 years since my son has been born, I have not gotten the sleep I want anymore. And guess what? You got 12 more years of this. You're not going to get any sleep anymore. And then she just looked at me and started crying. And, and I was like, well, I love you, honey. I love you. But you know what I did? I left the light on. What did my daughter want me to do? She wanted me to turn the light off. Why? Because it's easier. When you're in a dark room and you flip that light on, it's painful, right? But the most loving thing I could do is keep the light on. Why? Because the longer you're in the light, the easier it is to see and it's less painful. You see, Jesus loves us enough to keep the lights on. 
John says earlier in chapter 1, verse 4 through 5, this should be up on the screen, it says, In him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness does not overcome it. The question you've got to ask yourself is, why are you trying to hide? Jesus is illuminating on that very thing you're trying to hide for your good and joy. So the majority of the time I told you, we're going to spend in, chat, in verse 12. And the rest of this is going to be really, really fast, okay? But what John is going to show us is how people respond to the light. You see, some people don't come to the light because they're trusted in their own might, their own wisdom, their own power. And many don't come to the light, don't trust in the light, because they'd rather stay in their sins rather than come to Jesus. Listen to what he says in verses 13 through 20. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from or where I'm I'm going. What's he talking about there? He's talking about heaven. His true origin wasn't from Bethlehem, but it was from heaven. He says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. He goes, you judge according to what you see, feel, and hear. You judge by human standards. He says, I am the one who bears witness about, or sorry, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. And then notice this, in your law. He doesn't say the law, your law. It is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father, for if you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him, for his hour had not yet come. The religious leaders come up to Jesus, and they immediately start questioning his credentials and trying to discredit him. Jesus, however, basically looks at him and says, guys, we've already been through this. Think about the witnesses to Jesus so far in this gospel as we've been teaching through it. You got John in chapter 1 who says, behold, Jesus' cousin, behold, the Lamb of God who comes, away, comes to take away the sins of the world. You got John chapter 5 where John continues to bear witness about who Jesus is. You got John chapter 3 and the religious leader, the religious leader, if you will, kind of like the Ohio State University, okay? Like there's no other, the in and out burger, the, you know, whatever. He's like the man when it comes to religious, religious leadership. And he comes to Jesus and finds out everything he's put his hope and joy in has been left wanting. He needs Jesus. And we see at the very end, he bears witness to who Jesus is. You get to John chapter 4 and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Jesus shows up to her, tells her everything she's ever done, reaches out to her, right? She could bear witness to him. And then you get what Joel talked about last week, masterfully talked about in John chapter 8. Woman who's caught in the act of adultery. Could she bear witness to Jesus? Yes and amen. Throughout the gospel, there are tons of witnesses. The witnesses are overwhelming. Even the law, the Pharisees pride themselves on obeying. Guess who it points to? Jesus. Because all the law and the prophets and the Psalms find their fulfillment in who? One name, Jesus. Yet Jesus decides to play their game. He says, he doesn't say the law, but he says your law. And it's almost as if Jesus goes, okay, you judge by your feelings, by your intuition, by your law. Okay, fine, I'll play your game. My testimony is true. Don't you remember? Where am I from? I'm not from here. Where am I from? You know my true origin. I'm from heaven. Testimony one. Testimony one. You haven't refuted it. Not only that, but you know my father has been testifying about me. 
Think about all the miracles that I've done. I mean, I took five barley loaves and two small fish, a Lunchable at best, and fed over 20,000 people with it. How in the world do you think I did that? Do you remember that crippled man that was at the pool of Bethsaida? That he got up and walked? How do you think I did that? Remember the wedding in Cana, water to wine? How did I do that? My father has been testifying from me from the very beginning, showing through my works and my miracles that who I am. Jesus says their judgment is wrong, for they judge according to the flesh, their flesh and authority. And even so, Jesus meets their own standards, and yet they still refuse to come to him. Why is that? Because they're so caught up on their own authority. I just don't get it. You can't be this. Yet the evidence is overwhelming. Many of us, we trust in the authority of people for many lesser things. We go to a mechanic, and you're going out of town, and the mechanic says, you need X, Y, and Z done on your car. Many of us, because we don't know anything about cars, would just go, sure, and we sign whatever, and we just hand it over, right? You go to a doctor, and the doctor says, you need this, and then he calls in a prescription, and so you go to the pharmacy, and so you trust the doctor and the pharmacist, and you take the medicine. I take my dog to the vet, and the vet says, you need this done on your dog. And oftentimes, I trust that vet. Why? Because we love that big 70-pound beast. My mom told me, you'll never love Brussels sprouts. They're terrible. I had them in my 30s. They were awesome. But I trusted her. You see, we trust so many people. And Jesus is looking at these religious leaders and saying, when it comes to eternal matters, you really shouldn't be that careless. These religious leaders prided themselves on knowing God. And what does Jesus say? You don't know the Father, because if you knew the Father, you would come to me. Because throughout this gospel, Jesus says over and over and over again, to reject him is to reject who? God. God. And if you want to know the Father, come to Jesus. All other religions, all other philosophies that claim knowledge of God, that are void of Jesus, are nothing. And I know that's harsh, but it's absolutely true. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And the last time I checked, anybody who raises from the dead wins. And the most unloving thing we can do is just let that go. But Jesus says, I am the light. So we have to tell. We see the other reason. They weren't only trusting in their wisdom, they were not, honestly not willing to deal with their sin. Look at 21 through 30. So Jesus said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. They basically speculated that, you know, if he kills himself by suicide, he's not going to be in heaven. That's what they're saying. He said to them, you are, far, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, and some translations just leave it there. Some put the he in, but either way, what does I am come from? Old Testament. Who should I say, Moses says, who should I say sent me? I am the very name of God. He says, believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? He just told them. Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. 
I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare the, to the world that, I, that what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, I'm not going to kill myself. Listen, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, what's he talking about there? The crucifixion. He said, absolutely, this is the plan of God, but it's going to be executed through you. You're going to do this. Then you will know that I am he and that I, have done, I do nothing on my own authority. But speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Why don't the religious leaders come to Jesus? He says it twice in this text. He says, because they refused to come to him to deal with their sins. He says twice in this text, if you remain in your sins, you're going to be apart from me. But if you believe in me, if you believe in me, your sin problem will be dealt with. You see, nobody forgives anybody without paying the cost themselves. Just recently, one of my uh, kids took my son's goalie gloves for soccer and uh, left them in the backyard. Now, not only do we have a 70-pound beast, but we also have one of her puppies, and we name him Phoenix. And Phoenix went out in the backyard, he found those gloves, and he chewed them up. Now, my son could look at the child who left the gloves out in the yard and say, I forgive you, but does that replace the gloves? No. For the gloves to be replaced, what would my son have to do? He'd have to eat the cost. He'd have to buy them himself. That's what Jesus is basically saying to these religious leaders. Somebody has to eat the cost of your sin. It's either going to be me or it's going to be you. And that's the question you and I have to ask ourselves as we go through this text on the light of the world. Are you going to come to the light of the world to let him deal with your sin problem? Or are you going to continuously refuse trusting in your own might and your own power to deal with your sin? Somebody has to eat the cost. It says at the very end of this, many believed in Jesus, which shows us there are really only two types of people in the world. Those who believe in Jesus and those who don't. And Jesus has come to be what? A light for the nations. So that before the throne of God, at the end of the time, when he comes back to put a final stamp on this whole thing, that before the Father, there will be what? A multitude of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping him. That's why we're in Ireland. That's why we're in Turkey. That's why we're in Las Vegas. Because Jesus has come to shine brightly so that people can find hope and joy and salvation in him, not in the things of this world. The question is, do you fear the light? Are you afraid of being exposed? Do you think that in the light there's going to be greater guilt and shame? If that is the case, you're buying into a lie from Satan himself. For those who come to the light don't get covered with more guilt and shame, but they have their guilt and shame revealed and healed because of who he is. It would have been absolutely ridiculous when that light came on and my parents came in and blood's all over my face to look at them and go, I got this one. Don't worry about mom, I'm good. And try to stitch up that eye by myself. I mean, some people can do that, but you know, me as a kid, not gonna happen, right? And the question is, you just need to put those stuff down and come to the light. Because he's for your good, your hope, and joy. He's not come to wound you, but to heal you.